Okay, so good afternoon. Good to see you again. In our meditation practice over the last couple of days, we've been developing two very powerful qualities of mind. These qualities of mindfulness or sati and stability of mind or samadhi. And these two work together as supports for insight, vipassana, clear seeing. And we've been beginning by using the breath as our meditation object to strengthen both the steadiness and the refined attention. And I've been emphasizing how in the context of the four establishments of mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, mindfulness of the body is the crucial skill or foundation that all the other practices develop from. So, as I mentioned earlier, even though mindfulness of the body might sound simple and easy, for most of us brought up in dominant mainstream culture, it's not something we generally pay much attention to. We tend to much more privilege our heads, the intellects, and to overlay all kinds of concepts over our actual experience. And as one very or a few very key concepts that the Buddha saw as serious distortions that create suffering. And one of those in relation to the body is the distorted belief that this body is me, that it's mine, that it's who I am, and it should be completely under my control. Now in the Buddha's teachings, this is a serious delusion, and it's one that causes a lot of suffering because it's not in alignment with the truth of how things are. This body, like everything else, is impermanent. It's changing. It's unstable. It's unreliable. And so it's not capable of giving us lasting satisfaction and happiness. And it's not under our control nearly as much as we would like to think it is. I don't know about for you, but for me it was quite shocking early on in my meditation to realize just how much this body was doing without me even being aware and how little control I have actually over many of the processes of the body. So most of us have this deeply ingrained tendency to take the body personally to identify with it and to believe we should be able to make it do exactly what we want. And because this delusion is so strong, also in this first establishment of mindfulness, the Buddha encouraged us to develop that strong mindfulness of the body to counter the suffering that comes from not seeing the body clearly. So there's an aspect of mindfulness of the body that I think of as body literacy, learning to recognize the more and more refined physical sensations and stay present with them with as little reactivity as possible. So even as you're sitting here right now, there might be a whole lot of different sensations that are going on that are just under the radar. Sensations, for example, of pressure, or hardness, or pulling, or vibration, or tingling, or throbbing, tightness, warmth, 
itching, and so on. So there's a whole language that we can develop to help to get more precise about this physical experience. There's one key benefit that comes from this, one's many, but one key benefit in terms of this retreat is it can help us to relate more skillfully to sensations that we might conventionally call pain. So sensations that are uncomfortable, unpleasant, unwanted. And especially on retreat, sometimes it feels like the experience of pain is heightened or intensified, especially in the first few days. And this is partly because we are getting more sensitive, we are tuning in more to the body. But it's also partly because in everyday life, when there's pain, we tend to just move away from it immediately. So we get ourselves another cushion, or we take a painkiller, or we have a glass of wine, or we do whatever we normally habitually do to not have to feel discomfort. Which unfortunately only reduces our ability to be with pain. So here on retreat, where we have a powerful opportunity to bring awareness to our default habits and to see more clearly what's motivating them. So we can gradually extend our capacity to be with what's difficult, to meet it with kindness and compassion and wisdom, rather than reacting in ways that lead to more suffering. So what we're trying to do in relation to pain is find that middle way, the balance between not automatically moving whenever there's even a trace of discomfort, but also not just masochistically gritting our teeth and bearing down on the pain. So I often refer to this attitude of kind curiosity, trying to bring that kind curiosity to sensations we might normally think of as pain, and to instead be interested, what is the actual experience, independent of our reactions to it. So the first strategy in working with pain, if that happens to be available for you right now, is to not label it as pain, but instead to name the actual sensations of that experience. So for example, it might be heat, or prickling, or aching, or pulling, or hardness, or tension, or pressure, or burning, and so on. And as we get more used to just noticing these sensations, we might start to appreciate they're not nearly as solid and static and permanent as the word pain tends to make them. So the first step is to bring curiosity to the experience and to be with it for as long as we can with mindful non-reactivity. For any of us though, there will be times when the experience is stronger than our capacity to meet it. And the mind starts to wither and contract and we start to tighten up in resistance. So at that point, when we recognize that, that's a signal that it might be time to slowly, mindfully adjust the posture. And in the Zen tradition that I did a little bit of exploration with, um, through a chaplaincy training a few years ago, in that tradition, they would do a mindful bow 
before they changed posture. And that can be supportive, so rather than just, oh, my knee hurts, wriggle, oh, time to change posture, bow, and then slowly, mindfully adjust. And then notice the new set of sensations. How are they? So you can just make minor adjustments, or you could stand or change to sitting in a chair, depending on what's happening. The key aspect is to notice the attitude in the mind. Because with something that's intensely unpleasant at times, like pain, the tendency is to go into aversion, to resistance, to avoidance, or to that well-known phenomenon of catastrophizing, which is a form of the proliferation I mentioned the other night, spinning out in future stories about how terrible this is going to be and how many more days do we have to be with it and we can't stand it and so forth. So that's where coming back to the hub of the wheel, the body and the breathing that I mentioned yesterday can help us re-ground our awareness and get centered again. What we can do when we come back to the hub of the wheel, if there's a lot of pain, is to deliberately and consciously notice what other sensations are present now. Now because of the mind's inbuilt negativity bias, it tends to automatically go to what's unpleasant and painful. But if we really pay attention, we can almost always find other experiences in the body that are either neutral or perhaps even surprisingly pleasant. So at times, in the service of bringing our attention and our minds back to balance, it can be skillful to notice what else. So the pain might still be there, but it's not dominating 100% of our attention. It's present along with, say there's pain in my right knee, how's the left knee? Let the attention rest on the fact that the left knee is okay. Perhaps as a subtle pleasantness of the coolness of the air. And we can tune into that. And that also helps leaven the experience of the pain. This is not cheating, as people sometimes think. If we're doing it with full awareness and mindfulness in the service of balance, then it's actually skillful means. Then there's one other strategy, if all that fails in quotation marks, Compassion, self-compassion, just doing what you can to meet the pain with kindness and care rather than resistance and aversion. So you might just gently bring a hand to the place that hurts and just use whatever phrases are soothing. It's okay. It's just unpleasant. Unpleasant sensations are like this and it's okay. And then, if necessary, again, change posture. So, what is common to all these different strategies is that they involve de-escalating our reactivity experience and knowing sensations just as they are so that we can, quote, abide independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And this set of phrases is repeated over and over throughout the Satipatthana Sutta as a kind of chorus. And it's pointing us to the understanding that all of our insight practice is about noticing where, when, how do we get caught 
either in clinging to experience, holding on, or resisting and pushing away. So clinging and resisting are shorthand for any kind of reactivity, liking, disliking, wanting, not wanting, any kind of entanglement with experience, including that tendency to take it personally and to identify with it. So to give one simple example of clinging in action, perhaps if somebody who doesn't have any mindfulness training gets really angry about something here, all those noisy trucks on this highway, they shouldn't be here. I can't believe that they would let big trucks on such a little highway. And what are the people thinking? It's really ruining my retreat. And I'm clenching my teeth and my shoulders are getting tight. But my mind is feeding on that experience. I'm furious. It's ridiculous. What are they thinking? This self-righteousness and all that kind of identification. Later on in the retreat, hopefully, when my mindfulness is clearer, I might notice the beginnings of that anger and just be able to recognize, oh, there's some tightness in the jaw. There's a bit of stiffness and tension in the torso. There are buzzing, irritated thoughts in the mind and some heat in the face. Hmm. Anger is like this. So do you hear the difference? One energetically is very much identified with, solidified, taken personally, amplified and proliferated. The other was simply knowing the sensations the immediacy of the experience. And when we can do that, at some point, we experience the opposite of clinging, which is release, letting go, non-identification, not holding, not resisting, ever-deepening ease, and on the deepest level, the freedom of Nibbāna. So all of these teachings are involved, are invitations to notice how do we cling and how do we release to experience ease and peace? Okay. So what I'd like to do is give us some opportunities to practice this key skill of what I'm calling body literacy. And because at this point in the day there's often a little bit of a lull in the energy and the alertness and the brightness. I'm going to invite us to do it as a relational practice so that we can use the support of each other. So two heads are better than one, as they say. And we'll be working together in pairs just to take time with separate speaker and separate listener to practice noticing and naming physical sensations in the body in as much detail as we can. We'll be doing this socially distanced and wearing masks, so you'll be spread out through the room, and it is optional. So in a moment we're going to be begin with a few minutes of walking meditation. If you decide this isn't for you at this point, then feel free just to slip on out. If you'd like to do it, then please make sure you have a mask, and hopefully you have your masks handy. If one, maybe two people need a mask, I understand we have 
just a couple of spares. Okay, so thank you for your attention.